This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey unveiled the the Green New Deal. The non-binding resolution calls for the U.S. to move off of fossil fuels, provide health care for all, increase wages, and expand human rights over the next decade. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he will bring the bill up for vote, but Democrats are dismissing that move as a political ploy rather than a serious debate on the merits of the plan. To review the aspects of the Green New Deal and how likely it is to garner support in Congress, we're joined here in studio by Eric Ortz, Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics at the Wharton School, as well as Director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. And also with us is uh, David Driesen, who is a professor at Syracuse University's uh, Law School and a visiting scholar at Harvard Law School. And David Spence, Professor of Business Government and Society at the University of Texas McComb School of Business. He also holds a chair in uh, law at the University of Texas Law School. Eric, great to see you again, as always. Good to see you. Thank you, David and David Spence and David Driesen. Thank you for your time today. Thank Happy you. to be here. Thank you. Thank you all. Great to have you with us. Uh, so, uh, David Spence, give us your sense of, of all that has been laid out. Is there, uh, is there some positive feelings that you can, you can see something that will address a lot of these issues moving forward in the next few years? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a it's a big ambitious plan. Um, maybe it's a little misleading to even call it a plan. It's a really a statement of goals so far, and I'm talking now about the the resolution, the text of the resolution that uh, Representative Cortez uh, introduced. Uh, it's it's big and broad. Um, it definitely uh, aims at a rapid transition to a cleaner energy mix. It also aims for a lot of other things um, in the realm of sort of job creation, uh, social justice. Um, it's, a, it's very, very ambitious. Uh, there's a lot of questions about sort of how you get from A to Z on each of these questions, and there's a lot of strategic, political strategic questions about uh, you know, whether you can garner majorities for something this big and broad, which yeah. is probably behind the Senator, Senator McConnell's um, political strategy here. David Dreesen, your thoughts? Uh, well, I agree with everything David said. I, I guess what I would add is, um, in fact, if you look at ambitious climate policies around the world, they usually have multiple goals. They're not simple regulatory policies. So I was pleased to see the breadth of this, both in terms of the ambition and in terms of the goals. And I, I see its primary potential as being a potentially uh, populist political party that wouldn't pass now, proposal uh, a political proposal that might not pass now, but might have if it's done right and messaged right, might have the um, the capacity to help change electoral results. And I think that's what's needed. I think we're going nowhere unless there's uh, bold proposals put forward and messaging that shifts where the polity is at on these things. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I think I basically agree. I mean, David David Spence lays it out correctly with respect to the uh, the fact that this is not, and people should not be confused about this. This is not a detailed plan that gives some specific outcomes. It's a framework uh, proposal, and it's a resolution. And as you indicated at the top, it's non-binding. 
Um, so, uh, so I think it's helpful to be thinking about this. It's not the other thing is it's not a new idea. So there's not something that just uh, Representative Ocasio Cortez came up with. She's obviously giving it a lot of uh, attention. It's getting um, it's getting on the it's getting on the on, apparently it's going to go on the Senate floor, which I yeah. think I personally think it's a miscalculation by Senator McConnell on this. I think they're trying to. I think they. Uh, I think that the Senate Republicans appear to believe, or some of them believe, that this is going to be embarrassing somehow for uh, Democrats to have to take a vote. What I would suggest to the Democrats would be to call their bluff and vote this in. And it's not a um, all of the all of the presidential candidates. I believe almost all have have basically said yes. We're for a Green New Deal. And as and as I'm indicating, it's it's not new. So Thomas yes. Friedman of the New York Times. I think this is the first uh, first expression of this idea that I know of, and that was in 2009. Uh, so this is really an old idea that that, that is now coming back. And the basic uh, the basic thought here uh, for listeners who might not be familiar with the issues is that you, if you look at the energy situation and you look at the climate change problem, yeah. there really does need to be a major investment in shifting where we're sourcing our energy. Basically, you need to move to a more electrified economy, and you need to move away from fossil fuels, particularly coal and oil. And right now, we're about 20 percent, and the world is still uh, a vast majority of our energy uh, use is fossil fuels. And the fact is that just doesn't match up with dealing with the climate problem. So you really do need, and many people have been calling up for this, and I, including me and, and many other academics and scientists, you need a really major effort that can only be directed by a national government policy right. to move this. So that's what's behind this. And then just to pick up on one other thing that uh, David Dreisen said, which I also agree with, is you got to, in order to do that, you have to give co-benefits to everybody else. So the idea that you can just put a, a charge on carbon and everybody will say, okay, let's do it that way. The problem is there's no political sellability for that, right? So right. people just see this, it's, they see it as job killing or business killing. And so I think the, 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 the reason this is a good idea in my point, from my point of view is that you're combining the challenge, which is this big challenge that requires significant government investment with a commitment that this is going to mean really good jobs, not yeah. just temporary jobs, but they're going to be major jobs in the construction industry and uh, and pledges to 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 really help the people who you need to have on board to pass this. So um, in those general terms, I think it's really a very encouraging uh, development. David Spence, then with all that is is kind of been thrown out here, and obviously energy and climate change are some of the areas, but you know they're talking about family leave, uh, uh, higher education, trying to deal with that, unions as well. Is there a natural starting point with one of these topics that really could be able to almost like dominoes, if you hit one, then maybe other ones fall in place? Yeah, good question. I, um, the point that Eric was just making about sort of tying climate change policy to these other issues as a political strategy, you know, could well be very right, could be right. But, you know, when you add additional dimensions to a piece of legislation, it, it might help build a broader coalition, or it might cause people to peel off. And I mm -hmm. honestly have no, I, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball, and I can't predict how people will react to these things. But there, there are some trade-offs 
associated with trying to accomplish two things at the same time. So let's take jobs, for example. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's, as Eric noted, there's a lot of construction jobs in green energy, and the solar yep. industry right now has, you know, employs many more people than the coal industry, in part because we're building a lot of rooftop solar, and those are construction jobs. Um, the, the Green New Deal talks about permanent union jobs. Yeah. There are more permanent union jobs in a coal plant at the operational stage or a nuclear power plant at the operational stage than there are in a wind or a solar or even a hydro station, which mo- the modern versions of which are typically operated remotely from a control room with nobody on site. Right. So, so we have to think through these various trade-offs, and, and there's going to be some really hard decisions that have to be made when we translate these goals that are in the current resolution into actual policy. And so maybe what the Green New Deal proponents are thinking of are, are manufacturing jobs for, say, solar panels uh, or the other parts of sort of the green, the, the manufacturing part of the green economy. And, and, you know, once we start shifting production of, say, solar panels from China to here, we're talking about a more expensive solar panel, right? And so, sure, yeah. so every step of this process is going to involve trade-offs that are kind of papered over right now in this resolution. I'm not saying they can't be resolved or can't be adjudicated, but they are tensions. And when we get to the implementation stage with real legislation, we're going to have to face those. David Dreesen, your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree with all that. But I also think it goes a little bit to messaging uh, strategy and also to policy design. That is, um, you know, there's a lot of focus on the loss of fossil fuel jobs, as if that's unique to the Green New Deal. But there has been an industry campaign to eliminate uh, fossil fuel jobs for years. And it's based on things like uh, sparing labor by removing mountaintops instead of real mining. Um, It's based on trying to cut corners on safety and oil refineries and so on. I think they got to make that clear uh, or they're going to get blamed for the job loss in the fossil fuel industry. And I also think they have to be serious about – addressing the problems that David flagged uh, on a regional basis. That is, I don't think it'll be enough to say, well, we're going we're gonna to get some jobs. Because I think that's right. true. I think they'll get some green energy. And also, over time, the energy costs are going to fall. So it's going to have a lot of indirect job benefits. But I, I think they have to figure out how to take care of this group of workers in, in certain regions that produce oil or mine coal. And how are they going to take care of those folks? And, and that'll be an important because otherwise um, they're going to be vociferous opponents no matter what good things happen in the rest of the economy. Well, David, be, because uh, let's just use you know the oil industry for a, a one example. You know the numbers of jobs that are in the oil industry in the state of Texas right now. If we go away from oil as a as a as a significant entity, then you're talking about a significant loss of jobs in the state of Texas. So where are those people going to go? Are they going to have to move to other states to be able to work in other industries as well? Yeah, well, they might. You know, they might target some of this production of renewable energy in Texas, and there should be a lot of job opportunities in the energy efficiency part of this, right? Because they're talking about um, retrofitting all buildings, which is amazing because, you know, in in countries or states with really ambitious energy uh, efficiency policy for buildings, it's usually focused on new buildings. Right. And and barely touches 
even big renovations, but it never gets out. It almost never gets out of existing buildings. That's super ambitious. That's a ton of skilled employment. Uh, so if they're serious, you know, if that can be done and financed, I think that's a pretty good source of jobs for a long time. There's a lot of work there. <laughs> David Spence, you wanted to add something in? Yeah, and your question about the sort of loss of oil and gas jobs. I think, you know, we have to remember that the, the decarbonization process is going to uh, proceed by sector, and it's a lot easier, right. and we can see the route to, to uh, the goal in the electricity sector fairly clearly. Um, as we move to other sectors, it, we're, we're further behind. We're further, you know, yeah, we're, we're earlier on the learning curve. And so transportation, uh, electric, electric vehicles are a minuscule percentage of our transportation fleet. Yeah. Uh, the oil and gas sector is, or the oil sector is serving, you know, that market. It's also serving manufacturing markets. Um, that are even further behind on, on the electrification process. There's you know, technical hurdles that have to still be overcome there that don't have to be overcome either in the electricity sector or the transportation sector. And as David Dreesen says, buildings are another sector. Uh, agriculture is another sector. So there's a lot that has to be done. And, and I guess I'm, that's a long way of saying I'm kind of skeptical that in the 10-year time period being discussed in connection with this proposal that jobs in the west in the permian basin in west texas are going to disappear eric yeah well i think this is a it, this is a point that i think goes to the strength of the framework of the green new deal but it also highlights the difficulty on the details so the strength is if you're going to do some serious uh change with respect to doing doing something that really moves the needle on climate change right you need to have these big changes and that's going to be disruptive to the jobs that you're talking about so the you know jobs and taxes you're going to ultimately change that i mean the long-term goals you would want petroleum to move into more of being a stock for plastics and things like that, and you're not burning it. Right. In the short term, there's going to be some use for that, but you're absolutely right. It's going to be a, a job hit. So I think it's smart to say we're going to combine this with a New Deal style. This is what was done in a crisis situation in the, in the original New Deal. As you're saying, we're going to have government support for some of these jobs and changing uh, over into a new model. And so there's going to be disruption. But you know, just to think of one thing in Texas, already there's a lot of jobs in wind in Texas, right? Yeah. So they have yeah. a lot of wind energy. So this would be scaled up, one would imagine, in Texas. And if you had a smart grid, you could also imagine a lot of decentralized solar power going online Texas is a big state. It's in the south. There's a lot of sun, I think. David can, David can try to get <laughs> – no, I'm sorry. David Smuts could confirm that. But, you know, it's going to take some time. One other point on the on the time frame, it, it, and, it, and this is worrying, but the time frame that scientists are giving us now is only 12 years. I mean, we've been sitting on our hands. People like all three of us on the, on the, on the online now have been talking about – uh, talking about dealing with this in a serious way, the academics and the scientists have been ringing alarm bells for, what, 20, 25, 30 years now. Yeah, yeah. And we basically haven't been getting off the diamond. Right now, uh, the the current administration in the U.S. has thrown it solidly in reverse, right? We're going full bore, let's burn all the oil and, and coal that there is, on gas that there is. And and the alliance, we have an alliance with uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia in doing that. And Wall Street's, Wall Street's calculating right now that we're going to burn all that up. Well, the scientists are saying if you do that, we are really in 
extremely bad shape. It's going to be a civilization-ending kind of event. People will still live, but we're going to destroy the entire world economy mm -hmm. if we do that. So you got to stop doing that. So you need a big plan like this, I think. Uh, on that score, you're not going to be able to shift it probably. And going to David Spencer's point, you can't – it's really – the realists are looking at this, and it's not going to happen within a 10-year frame. Right. And so – but that doesn't mean it's not a good idea to get behind this program. And I'll give you one example from history. You know, when the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act went online, they said stuff in the legislation, actually. That's not a resolution. The, the, the waters of the United States will be swimmable and drinkable by five years from now. Right. Okay, well, yeah. when they enacted that, that was impossible. Yeah. Nobody thought that that could be possible. But if you look at what has happened since then, in, in both the case of the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, you, you set a goal and you don't make the goal. Sure. And you kind of assume that you got to try to make that goal. Right. And then you actually have had progress in the decades since those. And so I think that's the right way to look at this is that there is a real need to declare an emergency. <laughs> that's another thing. I don't know. <laughs> Senator, just to make one footnote, I don't know if you saw that Senator Rubio pointed out that one reason for Republicans to vote against the national emergency idea for the southern border is that you might have a Democrat who gets into power and declares a national emergency on climate change. Yeah. And yeah. you could probably get a lot done if you do that. Now, I'm not advocating that, but I'm just saying that it, it is at the level, I think, of a serious emergency. And so you need to try to move the move the ball forward. And, okay. and, we're, and, and even though there is a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of difficulty in how to do that. Yeah, this, is, this is Dave Spence. I, yeah. I, I want to underscore some couple things Eric said. I think you know, you're, he's right that states like Texas and, and, and other states as well have other options and, and, and can transition to this new economy. We have about uh, more than 10 gigawatts of solar in the queue waiting for permission to get built. That's a lot. Um, and as I look out my window, it's sunny here in Austin, and the high today is going to be 88 degrees. <laughs> Um, You're better but, off than us in Philadelphia today. But, but the, what, Dave, what Eric is saying, and, and I entirely agree with him, is that this will require, in some ways, a heavy-handed effort, uh, top-down leadership. So for, let me give you an example. Building the kind of grid that would connect all the windy and sunny areas to the places where the electricity is needed will require a lot of transmission. Yeah. Transmission mm -hmm. lines. It's really, really hard to build transmission lines because of political and local opposition and because of some impediments that are built into the, the way we cite transmission lines legally. Um, changing all that is not popular. People, can, you know, we would have to essentially ram it down the throats of states and local governments in order to get that done in the kind of time frame we're talking about. Now, there are some governors... Jerry Brown, for example, was willing to sort of use all of his political capital to get so big solar stations built in California over the opposition of environmental groups who were worried about endangered species. He even was quoted as saying that about the opposition, we will crush them. And, and, he, <laughs> and they did. Right. And so um, that, you know, if, we, if it's business as usual in terms of how we solicit support and get approval for these things, it's not going to happen on the time frame we're talking about. It will require a much stronger form of leadership that some might end up seeing as kind of heavy-handed. Well, and David Dreesen, I almost think that if you have that type of scenario laid out, 
I, I sit here and I think to myself, I, I almost see it as impossible to be able to put all of those elements together because of all of these factors that, that kind of play in. And, and so I wonder if, if, you know, being able to pick two, three, four pieces that, you know, that really are the most important pieces is that's the way to approach it. Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, okay. I think, first of all, all these things, this is a House resolution. It's not even legislation. Right. So legislation is going to have compromises in it. And in this case, the compromises are going to be necessary to make it feasible. Right. Um, you know, and that's fine. But I think you have to look at that. It is not realistic to get anything nearly ambitious enough done in this Congress. The Republicans in the Senate will not permit it. So the goal of this has to be to have a messaging strategy or a coalition or both that will change the electoral dynamic. And therefore, the breadth of this, uh, not that it has to have everything that's in it, um, not that it couldn't have some more detail, but the, the breadth of this and the messaging and the tie to high-wage jobs uh, is crucial to having, having it have the potential to shift the political landscape, not to get 10 years, but to get, you know, 15 or 20, maybe not all renewable. I mean, you know, one of the tensions we're not facing is um, there are a lot of people who think that 100% renewable is impossible, period. Uh, the people who think it's possible are relying on technological advances in battery storage that haven't happened yet. It seems to me if you need a shorter time frame, that strengthens the case for nuclear, actually. And then that has the price tag, but you know you you get a, you have some baseload power there. It's really hard to manage a grid based only on intermittent power. So as David Spence, I think, was saying. So uh, you know, I don't think narrowing it is the way to go. Okay. But I think it's a good thing that it will have to pass through a political compromise thing later. And I'm I'm not upset about having overly ambitious goals now and then. Uh, getting something maybe really good, but not quite this, you know, fine later. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. Eric? Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. I think it's very, it's important to have the political context in mind. And I guess, uh, you know, one, one question. So I, I think uh, David's actually absolutely right. You're not going to get a, you're not going to get anything through the current Congress. Now, one thing I'd be hopeful, we had we had uh, Senator Coons on here recently, and he has a proposal for a carbon dividend kind of project. And one problem, he hasn't found a Republican co-sponsor for that. He had uh, Senator Flake last last term. Right. But one question that you have to have for the Republicans is, wait a second, uh, more than 70 percent of the people now really clearly see that climate change is a problem, and they want to see some action on that. So it's not enough to just come in and say, let's embarrass the Democrats by bringing this to the floor and calling it socialism or something like that. There has to be something that you're bringing. So what, what's your plan? What's the Republicans' plan? And I think that unless the Republicans start to get serious about this, then if you want to do something about climate change, you're throwing everything over to the Democrats. And then I think the strategy for the Democrats is, well, we're going to you already see the major political candidates signing on to a Green Deal of some kind. Yeah. And there will be debates about what that will be. And the long term is that you're going to get uh, you're going to get something from that. I mean, I think uh, Senator Whitehouse made a good comment. He said, why in the world? There's all this other legislation being bottled up in the Senate. But then suddenly Senator McConnell says, let's have this uh, vote on the floor on something he knows he's going to vote against. Right. Why don't we why don't we try to kind of compromises 
and vote on stuff that people are both on both sides can come and you have a you have an agreement about where you're going with something instead right. of trying to embarrass the other side. And one last thing I'd say, and this goes on both sides, is that the labels that have been used, I think, are really not useful. So our whole conversation here has been based, and I think academics tend to do this, you look at the problem and then you're looking at, okay, how do we do this? How do we have a smart grid? How do we make a transition? What are the policies that we can put in place? Where, what, what makes sense economically? What mm -hmm. makes sense for business? What makes sense for people? Is this going to hurt jobs? You look at the actual details and throwing around labels like this is socialism or this is neo or the neoliberals are bad. I really think we should get away from the labels and just get to the actual problems and then try to make progress on let's agree, forget about the fights, let's agree to look out. Climate change is a problem. We have to make these changes. Yeah. How can we come to some agreement about how to make those changes? Great having you all with us today. Uh, David Spence, David Dreesen, thank you for your time joining us on the phone today. All the best. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Eric Orts. Great seeing you. Thank okay, you. Thanks. thanks for coming thanks in. A lot. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.